Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the New Testament, uh, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. And you can find our text for today on page 860 of a Pew Bible. Uh, But on this Sunday after Christmas, uh, we continue celebrating Christmas. Uh, We continue singing Christmas hymns. We continue with Christmas decorations. We continue looking together as God's people at the significance of Christmas. And to do so today, we turn to the Gospel of John as the final look. It's part of our present sermon series titled Stories of Christmas. And over the last few Sundays, we've been uh, looking at a different Gospel account, uh, taking a different Gospel each week, Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, and now today John, to hear what the various uh, Gospel writers have to say about the Christmas story. We've been looking at different angles on the Christmas story. And of the four accounts, uh, John's that we'll look at today is unique. Uh, John's angle on Christmas isn't to recount all the details as a master storyteller, uh, but rather he wants to convey to us the significance of what has happened in the coming of Jesus Christ. If you had any type of extended family gathering over the last few days for Christmas, I'm willing to bet that many of you took some sort of family photo. Uh, I know we did in in, uh, my extended family. We got together at mom and dad's house, and so my family was there. My brother and his family were there. My sister and her family uh, were there. So there were uh, eight adults and seven kids, I believe. And so we got together. One of the first things we did was we got together outside uh, and a family photo was taken. It took several tries to get one that was decent, but eventually we did. But if you're taking a photo of that many folks, uh, it's not a face shot. Uh, it's not up close and personal. It's a panoramic view, a wide lens view. And likewise, John has a wide view of Christmas. He is writing to convey theology, uh, to record and instruct readers concerning what was really taking place when the Christ child showed up on the scene in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. And so this morning we have the opportunity to look at his version of the story. And as you find your place in God's Word in John chapter 1, let me invite you, as is our practice here at Meadowbrook, to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. John chapter 1, 1 verse, verse 14. Bible reads, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Would you bow with me? Father, this morning we have gathered in Your honor. We've gathered in the name of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we have gathered recognizing and believing that your spirit is with us, residing in us. And Lord, we need your spirit now. We desire for your spirit now to instruct us, to challenge us, to shape us according to your word. So Lord, guide us to that end for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, here's what John wants us Uh, to see, I believe. John wants us to know that Christmas is a celebration of God with us. Christmas is a celebration of 
God with us. The opening 13 verses, which we're not, we're not reading this morning, of uh, John chapter 1, are packed with truth regarding God's purposes and His plans and the fulfillment of those plans in Jesus Christ. But verse 14 is sort of the climax and the culmination of what he wants to say. It's the central summary truth that John has been waiting to share. It's like the anticipation that builds in the winding of the crank on a jack-in-the-box before Jack jumps out of the box. Uh, it is like the, the countdown to, to midnight in uh, Times Square of New York City on New Year's Eve. Uh, John is building up in anticipation as he records his theology of creation and of incarnation. That is, of God making the world and of this God coming to dwell with those he has made to live in the world. The word became flesh, he says, and made his dwelling among us. John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. A weighty text, a significant text. But I dare say that for many of us gathered here this morning, this text may have lost its weightiness to us. The wow factor that should be there may not be there for us. And I think there are probably a number of reasons for this, a couple major reasons for this. And the first is familiarity with the text. We've heard this text. We've read this text. We know this story. But even so, friends, don't ever disengage your mind or your heart when you open up the Word. Don't ever disengage your mind or your heart. I don't care if you've heard it or read it hundreds of times. I don't care if you've studied it or taught it in detail. Do not disengage your mind or your heart because you have not exhausted the word. Why? Because it is God's word. It is living, breathing. It is alive and active And it accomplishes the purposes that God has for it. So may the Spirit of God give us eyes and ears this morning to see and to hear His Word afresh and anew today. Familiarity with the text. The second major hindrance, I believe, to our hearing what John is saying here is quite the opposite of the first. It is not familiarity with the text, but perhaps our unfamiliarity with the text. That is the text of... The Old Testament. You see, John, the gospel writer, is using language that recalls Israel's experience in the wilderness, in the desert. Years of traveling and then wandering and waiting in the desert between Egypt and the promised land. In fact, next Sunday, we'll jump back into that portion of God's word. We'll return to the book of Exodus and our new series titled Deliverance. You see, it was a, it was a tough time, but it was a good time for the Hebrews. No longer enslaved in Egypt and now experiencing the provision and the presence of God with them, but still awaiting a permanent land to call their home, a permanent dwelling place. And so in the time of waiting, the time of wondering, God gives Moses instructions about building a temporary dwelling place in the camp, a.k.a. a tabernacle. And you see, John is drawing on that history. John is drawing parallels between that old tabernacle that the Israelites built and used as a portable place of worship and the coming of God's Son. And John is saying that something similar, yet much bigger, 
much better, much grander, has now happened at Christmas. And the word dwelling that he uses draws this comparison for us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word literally means to dwell in a tent. And so John could, John's words here in John chapter 1 verse 14 could rightly be translated. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Or the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Both readings are accurate and faithful to the text of God's word. And now when we zoom out a bit, when we read this text, when we read John 1.14 in light of the message of the New Testament, as faithful believers who stand under the authority of God's word, when we read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, what John is saying is that the tabernacle in the desert foreshadowed and anticipated the Son of God tabernacling on earth among us. In other words, when God gave Israel instructions through Moses, and we'll look at those in a number of weeks, concerning the building and the use of the tabernacle, he had Jesus in mind. Consistent threads throughout the scriptures, consistent threads through these stories of the character of God and the need of humanity, consistent threads of the gospel of Jesus weaved throughout the Bible to portray the glory and the goodness of God to us. One author reminds us the tabernacle was the center of Israel's worship and the most important single object in their camp. And so by drawing this parallel, John is saying Christmas is reason, church, to celebrate because the Lord of history and God over all has come to our camp. He is here in Jesus of Nazareth. That's what John is saying. Christmas. The celebration of God with us. So what I want us to see this morning from our text for today are five truths about Jesus anchored in the Old Testament image of God's tabernacle among his people. And the first of those is that in Jesus, we gather as Christians. In Jesus, we gather as Christians. God gave Moses... Back in Exodus, he gave him very specific instructions concerning the size and the layout and the furnishings and the functions of the tabernacle to communicate various spiritual truths. And many of those functions were previews of the functions Jesus would fulfill when he eventually pitched his tent among us. The first of these is that the tabernacle was the gathering place at the center of the camp. Perhaps think of a small town downtown where you've got the courthouse and you've got the town square in the center of the the town, the center of the city. You've got a number of other things that are then gathered around that. Many towns in the south, that's perhaps First Baptist Church, maybe right across the street or right next to First Methodist Church or one other church. A number of things that are then built around that center of the square, that center of the camp. And likewise, the tabernacle and the Years of wandering in the desert for the Israelites was the center of the camp. That God assigned various tribes to camp on each side of the tabernacle. North, south, east, and west. Three on each side with the Levites in the center surrounding the encampment. When the Lord said it was time to march on, the tribes were to set out from camp in the same way. Numbers chapter 2 verse 17. Then the tent of meeting... 
And the camp of the Levites will set out in the middle of the camps. They will set out in the same order as they encamp, each in their own place under their standard. I think we've got an image on the screen of the tabernacle in the center of the camp. I know it's a bit hard to see, but you can see the tabernacle there in the center and then all of the various tribes located around the tabernacle in the way that God had instructed them to be. And church, like the tabernacle in Israel's camp, Jesus is the center of our camp. Our worship is through Him. Which is why here at Meadowbrook we want to be committed to faithful and Christ-centered worship. It's fitting that this pulpit right here at the center of the platform is in the shape of a cross. It's fitting that we have a cross on our stained glass right up here above the baptistry. A focal point of of attention. It's fitting that our Lord's table is right here in the center of the room, reminding us of Christ's sacrifice on the cross in our place. We want the name of Jesus Christ to be exalted in our gatherings, in our prayers, in church, in our lives. For in Jesus, we gather as Christians. And when we gather in His name, He is with us. In fact, He told His followers in Matthew 18, He said, For where two or three gather in My name, There am I with them. Of course, in context, he's talking about gathering for prayer. But anytime believers gather in Christ's name, surely that includes prayer. John is telling us that in Jesus we gather as Christians. And secondly, in Jesus, God's law is preserved. In Jesus, God's law is preserved. In Moses' day, the Ark of the Covenant, which was kept in the most holy place, well, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle housed the stone tablets of the Ten Commandment as well as a couple of other items. It housed Aaron's rod or staff. It also housed uh, a pot of manna. You can see an image on the screen of the Ark of the Covenant. and You can see a side view uh, here and, and the stone tablets, the Ten Commandments there in, in the Ark. In other words, they were tucked away in the tabernacle for safekeeping. Portraying the centrality of God's standard and His law in order for His people to be in relationship with Him. And of course we know that all of Israel failed to keep that law. Not only them, we know that we too have failed to keep God's standard of holiness. All mankind has, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Both Jesus and Paul make abundantly clear that none have measured up. No one has measured up. No one has kept God's law perfectly. We have all sinned until the coming of Christ, until the coming of our Savior. Jesus who said in John chapter 8, He said, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Do you know that Jesus always did What was honorable to God? Perfect obedience. Perfect submission. He always did and always does what pleases the Father. In other words, if you want to see what faithfulness to God looks like, look at the life of Jesus. He embodies perfection. And of course, this is what He has done for us. Friends, in Jesus we gather as Christians and in Jesus God's law is preserved. And third, in Jesus, God fully dwells. Fully dwells. 
Perhaps most obvious in the Old Testament narrative is that the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. God's presence was not limited to the tabernacle for he is omnipresent, meaning he is multiple places all the time at the same time. But the Shekinah glory or the bright piercing light that resembled the presence of God within the Holy of Holies between the cherubim stretching out over the covering of the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the localized presence of Yahweh. And John knew that Jesus of Nazareth came revealing God's presence. Thus, John writes, we have seen his glory. Glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And this accords with Paul's words. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul writes, for in Christ All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Church, in Jesus, God fully dwells. And in Jesus, we meet with God. In Jesus, we meet with God. The tabernacle was also called the tent of meeting. Because this was where God met with men and spoke to them. But even so, it was always on God's terms and it was always through mediation, even there where God was dwelling among his people in a particular way, in a particular place, even there, humanity's sinfulness stood in the way of approaching the holy God, preventing his full disclosure to us. In fact, remember the story in Exodus 33, when Moses asked God to see his glory, God responded and said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. But, John says, to see Jesus is to see God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Friends, in Jesus, God desires to to meet with you. He desires to know you and to be known by you, to enter into relationship with you and to give you the joy of peace with him. Christmas is a celebration of God with us. And in coming to us, he has provided the way for us to be reconciled to him, to be at peace with him, to be right with him, to be saved By his grace to know and to enjoy him, to live for him, to delight in him, to worship him, to experience his abundant provision and sustenance forever and ever and ever. This was done through sacrifice. The tabernacle and later the temple is where sacrifices were made. See an image on the screen of a lamb being prepared for sacrifice. Be put on altar in the courtyard of the tabernacle. James Montgomery Boyce reminds us that in the outer court of the tabernacle on the east side, near the opening into the courtyard, stood the brazen altar on which sacrifices burned continually. He says, for anyone approaching the tabernacle from the outside, this was the first of the furnishings of the tabernacle seen by him. In other words, if you go into the courtyard and approach the tabernacle, you cannot help but see the altar and see sacrifices upon it. He says, this was significant for it indicated that there is no approach to God except by means of the sacrifice. 
a reminder that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And because we are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God deserving death, we can only approach God through a sacrifice of blood. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, all the New Testament writers want us to know that in Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice has been made. In Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice has been made. This is good news for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Friends, but in Jesus, the only perfect and sinless, the only holy and pure blood has been shed. It has been shed on your behalf and my behalf. It has been shed for us, for our forgiveness. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, gave His life on the cross of Calvary in your place and in my place. Because Christ is sinless, because He gave His life on the cross, I think we have an image of Christ on the cross, because He preserved God's perfect law and His perfect obedience, His sacrifice is once and for all, never to be repeated, never to be needed again. Simply the grace of God received by faith in Jesus Himself. On the basis of His sacrifice, we can be made right and we can be made new. And church, this is why we celebrate. This is why we sing. This is why we have reason to rejoice over the message of Christmas now and all year long. Because Jesus came to die to become the ultimate sacrifice. To give His life in your place and mine so that we could have His righteousness before God forever and ever and ever. This is why Jesus matters. Friends, this is why He is worthy of our worship. This is why we celebrate His birth at Christmas time and all year long. Christmas is reason to celebrate. It is a celebration of God with us. So friends, behold the glory of God in Jesus. Behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the truth we sing. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, the king, the king of all kings. The Lord, the master, the king, the only God has come to earth as a baby boy to live among broken and hurting and lost and self-centered creatures like you and me. The eternal immortal God came to live among mortal, needy, sinning, weak people. The God of scripture humbled himself and came to us not because we deserved it, but because he loves you. Behold the glory of God displayed through the coming of Jesus Christ. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss that Jesus was the fullness of the eternal God who had come to dwell in a baby boy, who became a young man, who became a teenager, who became an adult man, always embodying the divine presence and nature of God himself. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know the heart and the mission of God, look at the life of Jesus, the one who came to this earth to carry out the ultimate mission of God, to reconcile to God those who were estranged from God so that they might have forgiveness and life in Him. If you want to know and believe and experience the love of God during Christmas and all year long, then look at the person and the work of Jesus of Nazareth. And church, I, I hope you have celebrated this week. 
I hope you have celebrated in a big way. I hope you continue to celebrate and to rejoice. If you have times of laughter, perhaps for some, even times of being moved to tears over what God has done. I'm not talking about the number of cookies baked or presents given or received. I'm not talking about the calories that were consumed or the decorations that were hung. I'm talking about celebrating in your heart that God has come and that He has come to save. Jesus came that we might see Him and thus come to know God Himself. Have you beheld His glory? John says, we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you seen His glory? Have you celebrated? Did you celebrate the coming of Christ this week? Friends, Christmas is a celebration of God with us. Did you celebrate God with us? Are you celebrating God with us? If not, I've got some good news It's not too late. It's not too late to celebrate the birth of a Savior. It's not too late to celebrate the coming of the Most High God, the only God, the King of kings and Lord of lords in the flesh, ultimately to give His life on the cross of Calvary in your place and in my place, to do for us what we could never ever do on our own, to give us the life that He deserves and He alone. It's not too late to turn to Christ, to submit to Him, to worship Him, to exalt Him in your heart, with your lips, and with your life. This is something you begin celebrating the moment you see His glory. And you never, ever stop celebrating as long as you keep your eyes on Him. Ashley and I celebrated 12 years of marriage yesterday. So I thought a little bit about that. It's reminded how quickly it is for those of us who are married to forget To forget the joy and the commitment and the beauty and the covenant that God has brought us into together. For those of us that are married, perhaps one of the best pieces of advice that we could hear and receive is to remember our wedding day. To remember the commitment made. To behold the beauty of our bride, men. To remember the covenant that we made before God and witnesses present. To remember that day and to rejoice in it. One of the pieces of advice and challenge I often give to young couples in their wedding is to to never cease thanking God and each other for the gift of each other in marriage from this day forward. May we remember the commitment. And likewise, believers, may we behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. May we fix our gaze upon Jesus and worship Him. May we be reminded of the manger and the cross. May we celebrate the coming of a Savior. May we remember His coming and celebrate His provision now and always. Have you celebrated the coming of Jesus? Friend, are you celebrating the coming of Jesus? If you have beheld His glory, then one way you are called to celebrate is by participating in the spread of His glory among mankind. So behold the glory of God in Jesus, and then, believer, bear witness. Bear witness to the gospel of Jesus.
Behold the glory of God in Jesus and bear witness to the gospel of Jesus. Share this good news. It is good news. It's news of life and forgiveness. It's news of hope and eternity. Share this good news with a lost and broken and dying world in need of a Savior. What does that look like for you? What does it look like, brother or sister? What does it look like to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus? Well, it certainly begins with with prayer. God, show me who you want me to tell about you. Show me who it is you would have me tell about Jesus. God, show me what it is that you would have me give to support the spread of the gospel among the nations. God, show me what... What does it look like for me to be sacrificial and generous in my giving? What does it mean? What what would you have me give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that allows the gospel to go to some of the hardest, most unreached places across planet Earth today? What does it look like, Lord? Help me participate in this. God, what does it look like for me to go? Pray about where the Lord would have you go. Bear witness to the gospel of Jesus, brother, sister. Behold the glory of Of God in Jesus. As you think about New Year's resolutions. If you do that sort of thing. This would be a good litmus test. Do my New Year's resolutions help me. Behold the glory of God in Jesus. And bear witness to the gospel of Jesus. Something to celebrate. Christmas is a celebration of God with us. Friend, are you celebrating today? Would you bow with me? Lord, help us celebrate you. Lead us to celebrate the coming of a Savior, God in the flesh, according to your perfect plan in your perfect timing. Lord, lead us to worship you, to bow before you, to trust you, to follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love, your patience with us. Father, we thank you for this this news of Christ coming ultimately so that he could live the life that we couldn't and give his life in our place so that you could remain just and justify us that we might know and enjoy you. Father, may we be consumed with your mercy and your love. May we be overwhelmed with the coming of a Savior today, tomorrow, And always, lead us to that end. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.